Welcome to the Mindful Runner Podcast, a show about running and racing, trail and ultra in South Africa. Along the way, we'll be talking training, gear, nutrition, and mindfulness, all in the context of the South African racing scene. I'm your host, Fred Richardson, founder and head coach at Mindful Runner. Stay tuned as I do my best to give you all the information and none of the waffle. So in this episode, I'm joined by Rena Hrissel. Uh, Rena is no stranger to the ultra running scene in South Africa. And when it comes to DGT, Rena's name is synonymous with so much of what has happened with the richness of the event. And his input has been invaluable to a lot of teams. Rena, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Fred. Thanks for having me. Your time, 41 hours, 49 minutes that you and Ryan set. It's just, it's an incredible time. I mean, talking to Gavin, talking to Stain, everybody agrees that time is going to be really, really tough to beat. Don't you want to just talk us through the story of how that run went? Thank you, Fred. Yeah, that um, for me, an absolute incredible run and opportunity, but I guess maybe for reasons different known to a lot of people. And, and the DGT just allowed me to get to know Ryan better. He was and an is still today my absolute role model and sporting hero. So the DGT was really just this opportunity to, to actually get to run with Ryan, which then also led to us becoming quite good friends afterwards. And I think that's a cool thing about races and DGTs of this nature. It, it actually just gives us an excuse to, to actually like, get to know people and get to know yourself better. So firstly, that was kind of my introduction in, in getting the opportunity to do some, some projects and, and crazy adventures with Ryan. So that's why it's very special to me. The actual run, as with any good adventure, very few things went right on the day. And you can plan a project to the T, which I normally do. I'm, I'm quite an accountant of professions. So I have spreadsheets and I have planning and you plan and you know your biggest variable is weather but you don't think of what if it's too too warm? What if the weather is too hot? And that's actually what happened with our run. Like you plan, am I taking this jacket or that jacket? Is this jacket waterproof enough, et cetera? And then you get on the run and we actually had the complete opposite. Now, given the amount of time I've spent in mountains and on the Berg specifically on the DGT route, I've never had heat to that extent. And I am, for those that know me, that's my big Achilles heel. I really battle in heat. So I had this massive opportunity and everything planned. And then I didn't think there's any variables, but actually that the heat was one I didn't foresee. So that that just, we had to adjust our expected times. We had to adjust our specific milestones we wanted to, to hit. We had to on the go adjust, pushing a bit more at nighttime and running maybe a little bit less hard during daytime. And you would think if you have this thing planned to that kind of level that, that you shouldn't need to have a plan B and C, but we literally had to adjust the running of the day because anything after 10, 11 on that first day, kind of from Champagne onwards, I was in survival mode really and, and just really grateful to have something like Ryan and we worked together similar to what you would do in Adventure Race. So yes, it was a great run and very grateful for the outcome, but it was just, you've got to be kidding me. Like we didn't see this coming. Um, so the heat was really a big challenge for us. It's interesting, as you say, you account for everything and then that last thing, because that time almost implies that you had a perfect run. Yeah, we, we're very grateful. I think the ability and as you gain experience over the years, you learn to adjust your expectations and adjust your, like you still have the same goal, but on a mini milestone level, you adjust your 
your approach to the bigger goal. If you take on a run of this scale, I would have a general average time I want to run. But in the mountains, you can't say run 7Ks or 10Ks an hour because of the terrain varying so much. I break it down into very small sections. But then when you realize that the daytime sections are going to take slower, you must actually then run harder at nighttime. So I think we did pretty well given our goal and our ability to to, to get pretty close to what we wanted to do. But it, the actual, the, like the overall picture was there, but what happened on the day was very different than we, what we actually planned. We had to dig and, and, and change like to a plan B and C um, on the go. Learning to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Just how uncomfortable are you? And at what stage do you start becoming uncomfortable in this event? Is it the start, the end, the middle? I guess that, that messy middle is where you far enough from the start, so all the all the start the adrenaline is, is is gone but it's still far and like too far to the finish for you to really like have a, a tangible goal and milestone to to tick off because the biggest thing in the berg is everything pretty much looks the same after after the first while it's very difficult visually to to see your progress you go on the gps and all the gps is telling you listen it's still far and that 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 mental game and for me also having had this awesome opportunity to run with ryan then you also deal with, but I get to run with my hero, but now I'm disappointing him. And again, we had to had to adjust to that team dynamic, similar to adventure racing, where there's no ego, we've got a team goal, and let's help each other to, to reach that goal. And that's the phenomenal thing for me, not just by the DGT, I guess any sport and, and like a sport like adventure racing, where you all bring something to the table, but ultimately you will all go through bad patches as well. And how do you deal with that in a, in a team dynamic point of view? And your adventure racing experience has obviously been instrumental in, in helping you run this kind of event, right? Definitely. I think specifically um, on the navigation side and being comfortable finding your way because having a GPS track, is, is that's, a, that's a guideline, that's a benchmark. You still need to be able to interpret and recontours and make certain decisions. So navigation, definitely from adventure racing, sleep deprivation, and how to deal with with going through the nights from adventure racing. But I think mostly just learning to not have an ego in a team format and literally standing in for each other and, and working together as a team, I think is the biggest thing I've learned over the years from adventure racing that I apply in these projects, but also obviously in the day-to-day life as well. So you, you are... Along with Linda, Ryan, Corbus, you've run with each of them, and three of the top five times are with three different people. You've also got a lot of experience in picking partners. But what makes you, Reino Chrysler, what makes you so unique that you are doing so well at this particular event? I think, firstly, on the partner side, I've just been really blessed to, to have such awesome people to do it with. Each of them, in their own right, are leaders in what they do. Um, and the partner also determined the approach we took. Kurbis and I had a very specific adventure racing approach. And I think it, we were we were probably some of the first people that went from a fast hiking to more an adventure racing approach. So the type of packs we took was more like a 30-liter AR pack. Um, we still navigated by map. We didn't really rely on the GPS too much. So the partner determined the approach, whereas with Ryan and Linda coming from strong trail running backgrounds, that determined how we how we approached that project. What made me successful, I guess, firstly, what's our definition of success? Like if I look at it, I don't think I've ever really had a successful project. I've been really lucky to maybe fail a little bit further and a little bit faster every now and again. 
and it uh, it sounds funny, but what I'm saying is is that these projects basically never work out like you plan it beforehand. So if your definition of success is specific time, I think it's very dangerous. If your definition of failure is that you didn't reach your original goal, then, then that's also quite an interesting conversation. So I was successful to reach certain times, but I think the biggest measure for success for me in these projects are the friendship of the person you did it with afterwards. Kerbis and I have been best mates. Ryan and I became really, really good friends. And and, and same with Linda, if you can stand back after these, whether it's a race or a project, and be friends afterwards, I think you, you had a successful trip. Honestly, these times, that just intensifies the experience because the reality is somebody else is always going to go faster than you. And that's the beauty of sport. There's always people faster and maybe a bit slower than you. And I think if I can share anything about these projects I've learned, this is don't, don't be fixated on the time because that just skews your whole definition of success. What's made me go back and do this multiple times is that I really love mountains and I love sharing it with people. And because I combine those two, that's led to certain times. I just stood on the start line with alongside Courtney DeWater this weekend and I listened to her say, she's not looking for a time. She's there for the adventure with all these other adventurers on the course. And it's that same sense, isn't it? It's the sense of we're going out for an adventure. The time is a consequence, but it's not the main goal. I would, I would say that the time is really a catalyst that intensifies the experience. Um, we mentioned earlier that one of the things I've learned is how to deal with sleep and going through the night. If there was no goal time, whatever your goal time is, if there's no goal time, you'll definitely sleep an hour later. That's reality. And you'll possibly won't have conflict in the team because anything goes. It's, it's like adding all this into the mix that actually makes it a, a worthwhile experience looking back on afterwards. Yeah, and that's it, isn't it? You've got to measure it up against your own expectation at the end of it to say, yeah, this, I'm proud of what I did internally. It doesn't matter what the rest of the world is, is thinking about. For sure. Kubis, you mentioned Kubis. And he's also been part of all three of those events, right? All three of your times, Kubis has been part of both. Yeah, he's the guy that you can depend on to rescue you when the, when the trouble's really down. Right? Definitely. Even, even like I spent quite a bit of time in the mountains and often on solo trips. And you have that group of guys that, that's always on your, your spot live track as emergency button. And you know, even though they may be five or 10 hours away, they can mobilize help, they can make sure they get there, et cetera. And Kubis has just been phenomenal. And from adventure racing, from a climbing um, point of view, where we did so many projects together, and then we, we did the traverse together. And then when Ryan and I, and then Linda and I did it, he was a very big part of the logistics, backup and safety, as I then have been, had the privilege to do that for other people again. And, and that's a beauty of sport. I recently watched um, uh, long shorts of uh, Francois Don and, and, and Jim Wormsley and uh, where you also just see the dynamics. Sometimes you race against each other and sometimes you support each other. I think that's just something about sport that really draws me is it's nobody's mountain. It's there for all of us to, to enjoy. And if we can help each other to get the best out of it, that's, that's awesome. And the same goes for guys like Stain. And even like the Roman artists that said this thing in the first place, we're all just small little building blocks into helping each other experience the most of it. Yeah, it is, it's a brilliant sport and a fantastic community to be part of. In terms of training, what specific training did you do around preparing for DGT? Adventure racing has played a big part. But then also I've spent a lot of time on the DGT route over many years. Kubis and I officially did it in 2010, but before that I've done it in multiple 
sections broken up. Kobus and I actually did a full one in 2013 as well, which is which is not really part of the, the recorded times. But um, as a scout, we did another another full one in 2013. Specific training, I think it's the same as with any race. Try to simulate your environment, your equipment, your nutrition, the expected pacing as much as possible. And what makes a DGT so cool is, is all you have to do is go and have fun in the mountains. By doing that, automatically you'll be exposed to different weather, different scenarios in terms of physical expectations, etc. And I think that's what I did is I just love mountains. I come from quite a quite an active rock climbing background. And to get from different peaks to the other peaks is you just have to hike with your back. And that was kind of my prep over years. And that led to adventure racing later. When you training for, for something like the DGT and, and also for adventure racing, obviously this becomes part of it. Do you do much night-specific training? A lot of things change at night. Your perception, especially if you're in charge of navigation, navigation at night is very different. I find it a lot easier to eat at night because of my battle with heat. So I actually I eat the whole night when it gets a bit cooler. And you get to know how your body operates at night. So I do a lot of specific, uh, and again, just because it's a cool adventure is to, to do stuff through the night. And because I have a full-time job, it just makes your weekend so much longer. But also running with a headlamp for the first time at night is, is often difficult for people people often say they get tunnel vision if, if you're not used to it and i think the biggest reason to train at night and why i do it is that time between kind of three and five in the morning is when you realize that the biggest pain ever is not physical it's trying to stay awake when you can't anymore and although you can't really train sleep deprivation your body can learn how to i guess adapt to it a little bit better and just the the reward of pushing on until the sun comes up all those little things you can only pick up through physically doing it you can't read it in in anybody's blog that sense as you say that sense of from two to four o'clock in the morning before it gets gray as you do more of it so you become aware that okay it's two o'clock now i'm going to go through a bad patch but i'm just waiting for it to get gray now where previously you used to be waiting for sunrise now it's when it's gray, that's when I'm going to start getting excited. For sure. What did you guys eat during your attempt? I guess it depends on who I did it with. So with with Ryan, I'm I'm horrible when people ask me about nutrition advice. So I always uh, um, add some T's and C's because um, if you ask Nicholas Mulder or any of the guys that I've raced with for a long time, I always pack one chocolate per hour. That's my base nutrition. And then I'll mix it up with some hot crust buns maybe. Um, I carry quite heavy when it comes to food and I really – I race and do these projects to be able to eat. I really love that. So I carry too heavy and I eat way too much, but it, it does give me fuel to keep going. When you look at somebody like Ryan, he would he would go a lot lighter because of his racing background. So he would typically go more gels and, and goo chews and those kind of things. But I believe in good old hot cross bun with some baby bell cheese on and uh, as many chocolates as you can fit in your pack. Um, so if you are weight conscious, then I guess when you're in the berg, the one thing you have a lot of is water. So the more powdery stuff you can take, like PVM porridge or Future Life porridge or Smash, anything you can mix with water will definitely save some weight. But I, I do find a, a good old hot cross bun get me through through the next hour. Yeah, I think you might be responsible for the Fabon Nugas. Didn't you weren't you racing with Little new guys a long time ago, even before Farbal brought out their new guys. I'm not sure if I if I can claim all the credit, but I think I was definitely part of that part of that journey. Rano, what advice would you have for teams coming into to race now, the DGT race? To not be so fixated on the fact that it's a race that you that you miss the journey. Whether it's a race or whether it's a project, that for me the concept is the same. You've got this awesome opportunity to get to know yourself better and to spend 
an awesome time with somebody that you care about. So the first advice is to spend some time deciding who you're going to do it with. Don't choose the person that you think is the fastest if that person doesn't correlate with with your strengths and and, and expectations. So I would say choose choose a friend as opposed to, or choose somebody you can become a good friend with as opposed to trying to find the fastest possible person around. I'm not saying fast people are not nice people, but the reality is we're all very different. So I would say, firstly, choose a partner um, and spend some time together, um, get to know each other, but also spend some time chatting about your goals for this. Make sure that you have the same goal. That's the first thing, because that will be challenged. That will be your biggest challenge. Of the first couple of hours, team dynamics is your biggest challenge, not the physical challenge. And then if you and your partner have got all of that down, then go and spend time in the mountains. There's no other way to get experience in the Drakensberg than getting experience in the Drakensberg. Not even other mountains in the world comes close. I've been privileged to climb quite a few other mountains. Um, the Drakensberg is very unique and very special. Spend time hiking in the berg. Get an idea of the equipment you want to use and go use that in the berg, whether it's tracking poles, whether it's your nutrition, whether it's a new headlamp. Enjoy the journey. The race will take care of itself and enjoy the person you're going to do it with. Now, that's solid advice, especially choosing the right part. When you're moving and you have to keep moving for as long as you, I mean, 40, even 42 hours is a heck of a long time. How do you keep the pace going? How do you keep moving fast? Very important to break your goal into many goals that's measurable. And in this case, your GPS will allow you to do that. So take the total distance, do your homework and break it down into whatever sections you want to break it down into, whether it's 5Ks, 10Ks, specific milestones like valleys or specific peaks and then mentally try to stick to that but set those realistic goals based on your training you've done you can't set goals that 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 you haven't trained for and then have a plan b and c b and c doesn't have to mean you change your overall goal it just means that you have to either make up in other areas like maybe sleep a bit less or push a bit harder like we had to do during nighttime do homework set mini goals and celebrate those mini goals. I joked about the chocolates, but I would literally eat the chocolate when I reach a certain goal. You've got to play games in your own head and enjoy the journey. It's quite a long journey and it's uh, quite a monotonous journey. Um, it's going to be a lot more a, a, a personal experience than a mountain experience. And, and that that's the beauty of it. So Set those goals, communicate between your two partners, and also celebrate those goals, whether it's like a mini dance on 5Ks or whether you're having your favorite chocolate, because waiting for the final whatever time you're aiming for, you can't mentally stay focused for that long. Yeah, it's almost like it's too big to fit in your head, right? It's just, yeah. Those mini goals are a brilliant idea. You mentioned it, poles. Do you use hiking, trekking poles or not? I definitely use Hiking poles, um, trekking poles from my mountaineering background, from adventure racing background. Would I advise you to buy poles a month before you go and do this race? Definitely not. As with anything, if you're trained with it, you essentially change yourself into four by four. You are disputing the energy and how you actually like propel yourself forward. But I guess it's the same as swimming. It's technique. If, you, if you're used to and you, you're comfortable with your technique, you'll move well. If you're awkward with your technique and you haven't trained it and maybe got some advice from somebody else more experienced than you, it will actually put you back. So does poles help depending if you're trained with it and if you adjust it to those poles? Using poles, 
looking, I'm not too worried about the weight of the poles given the specific uh, specific challenge because it's so long, but getting the right length of poles and then practicing with it because you, you will be a little bit more bent over even if you have the right length. So you've got to get used to that. You will change the way you move. But if you get it right, you will, you will definitely, like you'll save your legs, but not just that, you'll actually have a lot more energy output on, on those climbs. So I definitely use it. Make sure you get it and tr- train with it at least six months before and, and play with different setups, lengths, etc. On a project like this, I might also, I mean, we all want to go for the lightest carbon poles, which is a fixed length. But I think for something like the Berg, aluminium poles where you can adjust the length is definitely worth it to make it a little bit longer on the downhills to save your legs and a little bit shorter on the steep climbs to help yourself with, with climbing a bit stronger. If you have fixed length, you're either going to have your poles too long on the climbs and actually work too hard on your shoulders and, and to have it the right length on the downhills or vice versa, they're going to be the right length for the climbs but maybe a bit too short on the downhills and you end up being hunched over running downhill. So for the Drakensberg, I would actually advise that a medium pulse that's adjustable. That few grams of saving carbon on something like the DGT, I don't think is worth it. Yeah, that's good advice. I'm going to ask you for a, for a prediction here. What's interesting before I ask for the prediction is that there's clusters of times, right? If I look at the, the records, there's you, you guys and Andrew in that 40-hour mark. And then there's the 60 hours and up. And there's quite a few times around 60 to 70 hours. If I understand correctly, the 40 hours is a lot more running and lighter packs. And the 60 hour guys are a lot more hiking and, and trying to save trying to save time with strategy rather than just go for it. Is that a fair assessment? Definitely. I think the difference would be if you want to get closer to 40, it's keeping momentum, like a constant forward motion as opposed to maybe close to, because I've done, I've done 60, I've done 65, I've done 63, where you might have sections where you push hard and then have sections where you go quite slow. If you want to get close to 40, it's more continuous movement. You asked me about a prediction and uh, I, and I'm just going to put it out there. I think 35 hours is very doable. Um, I don't like, like if I had to take, I mean, I'm not saying it for any other reason than if, if Ryan would go and do it on his own, I truly believe he would go and do it in 35. And there's many other good runners out there. I do think, obviously, you've got to... There's a lot of things that must line up in terms of weather, a good day, et cetera. But in terms of possibility, I don't think it's going to be long before we see 35 hours. If I just look at what we did, and I've never been a top-level athlete, and we we actually had quite a few challenges with heat. So I think there's a lot of good South African runners, never mind international, South African runners that could get very close to 35. Wow. That would be pretty epic. Yeah, there's not many people who would have put that on the table until you said so. So that's interesting. Um, wow. Okay. I'm like, I'm processing that myself. 35 hours is, is fast up there. I mean, you guys averaged just over five minutes, uh, five minutes, five Ks an hour. And, and having spent a lot of time up there, I think what, and, and sorry, this is a question I should probably have brought up earlier as well. A lot of people are confused by the fact that they've got a GPS on their wrist. Navigation's got to be easy, right? But that's not the case when you're on the book. It's the micro nav that gets you. It's not the, yes, I know which direction to go in. It's which little path do I go on here and at this time of year? Navigation on the traverse is not difficult. Start at a chain ladders, kind of keep the escarpment on your left, 
and go down a tomato pass. That so to get lost, that's that's not the problem. It is it is then to break it down into what makes logical sense. On that is the micronav comes in. The more time you spend in the book, the more you know, get to know your own strengths. I've had people using my track after I've done it that cursed me afterwards and said, but you take a direct line. You, you, you just go up way too steep. But the reality is I can't run. But from my climbing experience, like sometimes I, I, I'm a bit better climber, I like power hiking. But I can't run a flat road to save my life. So like I actually need to maybe go steeper and shorter. So the micro-nav is more... There's no right and wrong on the traverse. You'll eventually get to the finish because just keep going south. It is playing to your own strengths. And that means that you you can't just switch off and follow a line. You can, but you could probably go a lot faster by interpreting the, the environment around you. And it's not difficult. You use the line as your handrail. And then when you look at it, you might see, and, and even if you use, like, because I did it over multiple years, Sometimes the one side of the valley is overgrown and the other side is more open. And then when you get there again, it switches. So when I did it with Ryan, Quibus and I spent six months just fine-tuning the route him and I used. I mean, we spent a lot more time, but especially that last six months because of, we wanted to see what the vegetation does on that time. So when it comes to, to and it, it doesn't have to be complicated, it's just use logic, look around you and make a call on, what approach you want to take. And you might also find that at the beginning, you feel a bit braver and you take more direct routes. And later when you get more tired, it's worth it to go around through a valley than going straight over. And because you can see the handrail, you know where you want to meet up against. So you're not going to get lost, but don't switch off and just move because all those little margins count and, and add up, not just in terms of time, but also in energy expenditure. Yeah, it's the difference between walking through the marsh or walking two meters to the right of the marsh and staying on dry ground, right? Definitely. So much of that up there. The guys are going to be, this is not, an, the, the race is not an official FKT attempt because there is one aid station at Sunny Top. How do you think that's going to change the strategy? How would, would that change your strategy or your approach to? It would. And I think the more aggressive you are in terms of the time you want to achieve, the bigger the impact would be. If you maybe aim for a little bit longer and, and you closer to just um, you want to do this within the cutoff, then I think the benefit would become a little bit less. Because if you plan to be there out longer, the extra benefit of having a drop point versus the amount you're carrying, I think that margin becomes less. But if you're going to go on the absolute, absolute limit, it's, it's not just, it, there's a safety aspect involved. There's also a psychological safety aspect involved, knowing that there would be people waiting at that specific point. So it would change my approach in terms of what I carry. I would, talking about mini goals, I would also break my race into two sections. So it will definitely cause me to carry differently. And I think when you do a project, what you start with, you finish. So you've got to... You've, you spend a lot of time pondering about, do I take this space blanket or that space blanket? Do I take this sleeping bag or that sleeping bag? The moment you have a drop point, you have one option to make a call again. So psychologically, whether there's one or two water points, I do think it makes a big difference. Also, people say, but it's only like 45, 50 Ks from the finish. The Jogersburg Traverse is not divided in halves based on distance. It's divided in half based on time. And your time in the second half doesn't matter who we are. I'm yet to find, there's not too many people, maybe Andrew that runs a negative split on the DGT. So 
although it's only 50Ks, it represents way more than just 50 over like 200Ks. It does, so it will change it. And, and I, I would think that people can use that to the benefit, which, which they should. The psychological side and the fact that you can have one or two backups in that water point is definitely a benefit, I think, especially if you're like going to be on the limit of what you carry and, and, the, and the pace you want to push. Yeah, and I think the fact that it's 100 miles and 100 miles have become fairly popular in South Africa also will open up some of those top runners' ideas as to what they can do because it is just race 100 miles and then restock and reassess and You've only got you've only got fifty k's then, you know. But yeah, you know what I mean. It's any form of civilization. Just for me, having done the traversal or, or in the various teams, I've done it. Just crossing at that stage, it was still a, a gravel road. Crossing Sony Pass at the top five k's inland, crossing a gravel road and seeing that little building that you run past, that little church. For the ten hours before that, that was your goal. That was your psychological goal. So if you know you're going to see living faces at 155Ks at Sony Road, that, that would be a psychological goal and a tangible mini goal that you can build into your approach, which could give you various benefits, not just the, the nutrition and the kit. I would really advise people to, to see it that way and, and use that to their benefit. You, is there anything that you think I should have asked you that we maybe need to get out? I think people should, all of us, going into the mountain. It's nobody's mountain. It's a phenomenal mountain. Calling it a race, and obviously there is certain infrastructure provided by the organisers and by very, very experienced race organisers. But you are still responsible for your own safety. And the best way to mitigate that risk is spending as much time as you can in the mountains before the event. I know there's the training camps, and I think that's a great concept, but that can't be your only time you spend it can, but it will be a lot easier if you spend more time in the mountain beforehand to get yourself used to various environments and how to make those decisions under high-stress environments. So I think the one word of caution is you are still, as with any race, but especially with the DGT race, is build up your confidence, build up your, your capabilities in the mountain so that you then can pack according to your ability we can never transfer that responsibility on, on any race organiser, but I guess especially in the Berg, prepare as well as possible. But having said that, with any race or any project, that's the fun part, are the reckies, are the spending time with mates in the mountains, maybe not under high-pressure environment. Enjoy that journey, spend as much time there as possible, because then ultimately mountains are confidence. When to make a call to drop down out of weather or whether to push on. And there's only one way to do that and it's actually going to have fun in the mountains. As always, thank you for listening. If you want to know more about Mindful Runner, check us out at mindfulrunner.co.za. On Instagram, you can find us at Mindful Runner. In the meantime, enjoy your running, happy trails, and don't forget to subscribe.